Very nice to be here with you this morning and great for those who are able to join us online. Thank you for doing so. This is the 10th and final part of our series, How to Take Care of Your Heart. We've looked at how to take care of our own hearts. I remember looking at the story of Joseph and looking about uh, forgiveness and trusting God's sovereignty as ways to look look after our own hearts. And we've talked as well about ensuring that our hearts are after God's own heart. We remember the the story of David who was described exactly like that. God said, I found a man after my own heart, David. Today, we're going to talk about this, a heart for others, a heart for others. There are, I didn't realize until this week, there are hundreds of people in the UK on the heart transplant waiting list. Hundreds of people waiting to see if the heart will become available before they die. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those YouTube videos that show someone, a family member, meeting the person who got the donated heart of the loved one who died. They're remarkable videos. I've seen a few of them. There was one of a guy whose daughter had died and he met the man and gave a hug to the man who now had the heart that his daughter had before she died. There was another one, an amazing one, of a lady who was getting married, and her father had died. And so she contacted the man who now had her father's heart to walk her down the aisle. Can you imagine that? Absolutely astonishing. God's plan is not simply that we focus on the state of our own hearts, or even that we should just have a heart for him. God's plan is that we have a heart for others, for people in the process becoming increasingly like Jesus, who had a heart for others like no one else did. And there's a story in Luke chapter 7 that we're going to read that demonstrates the heart of Jesus, his compassion for others most profoundly. I'm going to read it to you, Luke chapter 7. It says this, Soon afterwards, the previous story of course, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. You have to understand the predicament she was in because it then says that she was a widow. In those days, she had no husband to care for her. She now had no son to care for her. She was in a terrible predicament. And a large crowd from the town was with her, out to mourn with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on. And not surprisingly, the bearers stood still. You just don't do that. Here's a religious rabbi, a leader with a whole crowd following him. He's very popular at this point. And he's found, he's come across a funeral procession and he touches the bier. Well, that instantly makes him unclean in their religious eyes. The whole crowd would have been absolutely stunned that he would do such a thing. But there's more. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. 
Can you imagine the crowd who are already aghast at the fact that he's touched this thing and now he's talking to the guy? Who is this man? Well, the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the whole surrounding country. It's a remarkable story. I love it. I really enjoyed looking at it this week. It's a story intended to communicate a number of things. There's a large crowd with death meeting a large crowd around Jesus. Life and death is meeting here. That's part of the message which will ultimately be fulfilled in the cross and the resurrection. There's obviously the power of Jesus in raising this young man, surrounded by other stories where his power is made known. And there's the unfolding revelation of who this Jesus is that Luke's talking about. Because the crowd's responses, Luke has included deliberately, they say, a great prophet has appeared among us comparable to Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, who they well knew had raised young men from death. And then they say as well, um, God has come to help his people. Jesus is being revealed to us as we read through Luke's account, including this story. But at the center of this story is a clear revelation, not just of who Jesus is or what he does, but of what he's like. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. The New Living Translation puts that down as his heart overflowed with compassion. This is not just who he is or what he does. This is what he's like. The phrase, his heart went out to her, is splankniste in biblical Greek. And it's usually translated, had compassion for. But only here in Luke, and only in Luke in this instance, is it, do the NIV translators put it as, his heart went out to her. It's like it's intensifying to us the measure of his grief for her loss and her situation. He is really feeling, he doesn't just know about her, he's not just able to overcome her predicament, he feels for her intensely. He's the great prophet, even raising the dead. But look at his heart. This is how God has come to help his people. Look at his heart. And in the New Testament Greek, the splanknon are the bowels. They're the intestines. They're the internal organs. And in the thinking of the ancient world, that was where the deepest feelings were. You felt out of your splanknon. That's where you expressed your love, your care, your concern. Similarly today, we say out of your heart. That's how we use that sort of idea, hence the NIV's translation here. There's no word in biblical Greek that so deeply expresses a gut-wrenching depth of emotion. That's how we might say it. It's gut-wrenching. Jesus is feeling very, very deeply. Even though he knows what's going to happen, He feels deeply for her. You think of the story of Lazarus as well. He gets news in John chapter 11 that Lazarus is ill. 
And what Jesus does, he stays put. It's really bizarre. He stays put. And then he goes to Lazarus, who's now dead. And although he knows what's going to happen, he's in tears. He feels deeply. Jesus was moved with compassion on multiple occasions. The Gospels tell us repeatedly that's what happened within him, in his splanknon, as we would say, in his heart. When he saw the people harassed and helpless, he had compassion on them. When a crowd had been following him and they were hungry, he had compassion on them. When a blind man asked that Jesus would restore his sight, he had compassion on him. When a leper asks to be healed, he has compassion on him. And it's a word used famously of the prodigal father. The son's been away. The son has finally turned around. It is coming back. Here's what Luke records. While he was still a long way off, Jesus said, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The same word for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's the same word used of the good Samaritan. Jesus told that story and said a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. In each case, as it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 13, we could say his heart went out to them. And you know what? We frequently need reminding that that is just what God is like. What's God like? If you ask someone that, they'll rightly say, he's holy, he's mighty, he's omnipresent, he's loving, he's merciful, he's just, and he's full of compassion. His heart goes out to men and women just like you and me. And that's how God revealed himself to Moses. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up. And then he said, show me your glory. And we read in Exodus chapter 34, we read this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God comes to Moses to disclose what he's like. And rather than saying, I am mighty and high and lofted, he says, I'm gracious. I'm compassionate. I'm slow to anger. I forgive thousands. This is what our God is like. Let that put a smile on your face behind your masks, a smile on your face at home. Our God is compassionate. It's worth just quickly qualifying in brackets, I thought as I prepared this this week, lest anybody should get the wrong end of this. There are limits to compassion, because I'm going to apply this to us in a moment. There are limits to compassion. Verse 7b of Exodus 34 says this, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin, for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I don't want anybody to hear this and feel that they must be compassionate in like an abusive or illegal situation. There are limits to compassion. 
Illegal activity doesn't need compassion, it needs prosecuting. Abuse doesn't need compassion, it needs to stop. But Exodus 34 isn't a one-off description. It's a a text that the Old Testament writers pick up again and again and again. It's a thread weaving through the Old Testament. This is what God is like. They pick up the very words of Exodus 34 and they play them again and again at regular times through the Old Testament. And I love this New Testament sentence, a very brief one, right near the end of the New Testament that picks up exactly the same thing. James 5 verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He's polysplanknos. Those of you who know what poly means will instantly know what that means. It means literally to be many-boweled. If the splanknon are the bowels, where you really deeply feel from, this James is saying here literally, Jesus, the Lord, is many-boweled. He is multi-compassionate. He is extremely sympathetic. He feels greatly for us. I am so glad that he is many-boweled. I am so glad, personally, that he is multi-compassionate. I am so glad that his compassion never ends and never fails. And I was thinking this week of just a few of the people who I've either met with or spoken to recently, and I would want to say to them, Jesus is much sympathetic to you. His heart goes out to you. I think of someone I met recently planning a potential funeral. I want to say, he feels for you. I want to say to someone who had harsh words given to them, wrapped up as a prophecy. I want to say, Jesus feels your pain. I want to say to husbands I've spoken to who are seeking the best for their families, in your wrestles, he feels for you. His heart goes out to you. A husband who I had lunch with a couple of weeks ago, whose wife died recently and we buried her. I want to say, he feels your pain. A newly married couple who are working out what life looks like together in some practical details. I want to say he feels for you. He's with you. A couple facing parenting challenges. I want to say he's with you. He feels your pain. Others facing health challenges. He not only knows, he sees and he feels for you. So let me encourage you to rest your weary, timid, faltering hearts and minds right there on that truth that his heart goes out to you. You may have many questions, but there's no question what he's like. His heart is full of compassion. But we're also provoked in reading this that we're not only knowing what Jesus is like, but we're provoked as well that we're to be like him. God's plan is not only for us to enjoy his heart, but to imitate his heart, to have hearts like his. That's how New Testament theology works. Be to others as God has been to you. It's a principle running through the New Testament. One guy said this, I thought very provocatively, the way we are with each other is the truest test of our faith. 
how I treat a brother or sister from day to day, how I react to the sin-scarred wino on the street, is how he put it, how I respond to interruptions from people I dislike, how I deal with normal people in the normal confusion on a normal day. Lord, help me know your compassion for me, little old me in all my mess. And may I live that out in relationship with others. So here's a question. How can my heart, how can our hearts, how can the Citygate community, how can its heart be more like Jesus' heart that went out to others? Let me give you a few things. Number one is this. Remember this. Remember that your knowledge of other people's circumstances is limited. Your knowledge of other people's circumstances is limited. I say that for this reason. Judgmentalism kills compassion. Judgmentalism kills compassion. I don't know about you, every now and again, I stop myself and realize I've been really judgmental. Do you ever find that? Somebody please nod or I'm going to feel awful. Some hands up. Oh, that's even better. Well, it's even worse, but even better. I just shocked with myself. Why am I judging that driver? Why am I walking down the street and questioning them? I don't know a thing. If empathy is the capacity to comprehend someone else's world, compassion is the capacity to feel someone else's world. And to grow in both, I need to remember this. I have very little idea how tough life just might be for you. One writer talks of this experience. One Sunday morning, he was on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some just lost in thought, some resting their eyes closed. It was calm and peaceful. And then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, appearing oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing about his children. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I couldn't believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like this and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone on the subway felt the same. In the end, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? Judgmentalism kills compassion. You and I need to stop pretending that we know what they should do, that we know why they're so dumb because they're behaving like that or thinking like that or still stuck in that struggle. 
Lack of empathy and compassion hardens hearts. It blunts marriages. It divides families. It splits churches. It fractures communities. The truth is this. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what life's like for you. I don't know why you're dealing, how, what you're dealing with. And I need to remember that. What if the chap who wrote about the subway experience in New York, rather than passing judgment, had thought of a question first? Sir, are you okay? And then to actually stop and listen. You you and I know just how life-affirming real listening is. It's an expression of compassion. You know, you've experienced it. Maybe not often, but you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Someone who's actually got time for you, for whom you're speaking, and their heart is connecting and going out to yours. Real listening says this, tell me something about you because I don't know. Real listening means I want to know, I want you to know right now you matter to me. And what you're saying matters to me. That's a heart of compassion for others. So let's remember that we don't really know much about other people's circumstances and it will help our levels of compassion. Secondly, remember how needy you are of his compassion. Tim Keller who often puts things so well, said this, the Christian gospel undermines both swaggering and sniveling. The Christian gospel undermines sniveling because whatever you may think about yourself, much of which will be untrue, but some of it might be real, listen, you are a child of the king if you are a believer in him. No sniveling. You might have things to deal with, You might have stuff to sort out. You might have behaviors that don't just need compassion but need some work as well. But listen, no sniveling in the royal family. But no swaggering either. Because I'm so in need of his grace, his mercy, his compassion, that how could I possibly be judgmental to you when I'm at least in as much need of his mercy and grace and compassion? It makes no sense at all. One chap who wrote, who wrote, a, his, wrote a history of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, I think said a brilliant thing, very applicable for us. He said, what unites alcoholics, if they're honest, what makes it possible for one alcoholic to learn from another is that the foundation they share is not a strength but a weakness. Each knows what he or she cannot do. So helpful. You see, I want you to know my strengths. I want you to know what I can do. I'm hoping to look mildly impressive. I wouldn't dare say that, but in this setting, I'll dare to say it for this reason. We're all like that. We're all very concerned what people think of us. We want our strengths on display. We want to hide our weaknesses. But here's what we all share, weaknesses, limitations, what we can't do. And we all equally, I really need the tender heart of Jesus who is full of compassion and mercy. 
and remembering my weaknesses and my limitations and my needs of his compassion helps me to be compassionate and less judgmental. Remember, we don't know much about other people's circumstances, so let's stop judging. Be compassionate instead. Remember, you really need his compassion. And thirdly, here's the challenge. Let's take a heart step towards someone in compassion. I read a a book the other day by a chap called Dan Walker. Dan Walker used to present Football Focus. He's moved on to other things. And he's a very committed Christian. And he wrote a book called Extraordinary People, Remarkable People, in which he recounted some of the stories that he's, of people he's met over the last number of years. And he recounted this one in the middle of the book. There's a guy in his hometown who he bumps into on a dog walk. He bumped into this 82-year-old called Tony Fawkes. And he bumped into him and he said this really profound question. Are you okay? That's all he said. Are you okay? A little bit of heart out for someone else. Got chatting to this Tony Fawkes. It's a very long story, so I'm going to have to try very quickly to cut it short. Anyway, talks to Tony Fawkes, 82-year-old. And he finds out that Tony is the guy who tends the memorial at the end of the park. Every day, for the last 60 years, he's come to tend the memorial at the end of the park. It's a memorial to 10 guys who crashed and burned in a bomber during World War II. They found this little spot of grass, this park, and they landed there deliberately to avoid houses and other things. All of them died. Tony was in the park that day. He was eight. And the pilot was waving at him. He remembers distinctly. The pilot was waving at him, saying, get out of the way. And they missed this group of lads and these houses, and they crashed into the park, killing themselves, but avoiding the deaths of any others. When Dan Walker meets this guy just a couple of years ago on this dog walk, he says to him, are you okay? And he just gets chatting. In the course of the conversation, a bit later, he says to Tony, what is it you want, having heard a bit of the story? And he says, Tony says, what I really want is this. In a month's time, it's the 75th anniversary of that crash, that event. I'd love to have a fly past. <laughs> what a ridiculous request, which he knows. That's a crazy request, he says. Well, Dan Walker has got contacts. And Dan Walker gets on like a mission to go chasing this thing. And he works it through, through months. And people are working all hours to make this happen. Such that on the day, the 75th anniversary, there are 30,000 people gathered to commemorate this event. And there's a fly pass from the US base in Lincolnshire or wherever it is. And they fly over. It's on the TV. It's on the breakfast. It's on the ITV. It's all over the place. Now, you might never have a are you okay that leads to that. But you never know what are you okay might lead to. What's your step? What would be your heart for others step of compassion? Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe a husband and wife are just bickering, bickering, bickering. 
Stop judging, be compassionate. We're all flawed. You need grace just like they do. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's in this church. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. I wonder where it is that you could take a step with compassion to someone and imitate Jesus whose heart is for you. I wonder if you're able, whether we could just stand together. I'm going to ask you a question in a moment. For all that judgmentalism does, compassion can do so much more. Let me ask you this. I've got a question. It's a two-part question. Where is this landing for you? It might be, you see, it might be, it might be, do you know, I'd never, ever thought. I know he's loving. I know he's gracious. I'd never thought that his heart might go out to me. This morning, I want you to get it. I want you to get it. I want you to know that he's compassionate to you. Just like he was to that lady in Luke chapter 7. Maybe you say, I've, I've got that. Here's my question for you then. Is where, where is it that God is calling you to imitate Jesus whose heart went out? Is it in your family? Is it in your workplace? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in the church? I don't know. Is it with that friend at work who no one else is bothered with? Is it that neighbor who everybody talks badly of? Do you know what I think Jesus would do? I think he'd take a step of compassion. His heart would go out. So maybe we could just close our eyes if that helps you concentrate. I want you to get it this morning. I really want you to get it. He walks up to you today and his heart goes out to you in your struggles and your wrestles and your weakness. Please receive that. Receive it. That could be life-changing for you. And maybe for you, you know, I'm really secure in that. What's your step? Come on, let's make a decision. Yes, yeah, that neighbor, everybody avoids them. It's that person at work, everybody avoids them. It's that family member, everyone despises them. Now, you might need some wisdom. Compassion has its rightful limits. But where's the step for your heart going out to others? Holy Spirit, communicate to us your compassion. It's outstanding. It's extraordinary that you should feel for us. And Lord, lead us to imitate Jesus more fully. We pray for this would be a compassionate church. We pray for compassionate communities, compassionate workplaces, compassionate families, because we're becoming a bit more like you. Amen.